Welcome to the Practically Theologians podcast. Thanks for joining us once more. This is the second of a two-part podcast we did. We started way back, I think in November or December, and I just haven't released it due to being extremely busy working on a house to sell, a house I'm fixing up to move into, and many other things that have been going on with life. So very sorry for the large delay. The topics we cover are singing and mask wearing, and I think eh, these are probably not as big of an issue now as they were then, but we're releasing it anyway. Um, do keep in mind, these are only the opinions of two people. Please don't don't take what we say as gospel truth or anything like that. We're just working through these things. Also, keep in mind, Andrew and I are actually on different pages when it comes to mask wearing. Um, so he did not give his view fully in this podcast, but he does not have a problem wearing masks in worship, uh, where I actually I actually do, but <clears throat> we both both end up giving, really, I hope, what is a helpful take on things and how to engage with one another in that regard. Um, my view has developed, which I do share my view partially in this podcast, mainly as a way to help people who disagree with me just see what the what I uh, what I'm thinking and how I'm processing things. Um, Andrew and I both happen to disagree on sing or sorry, agree actually on singing. <laughs> I get so used to that word disagree that I just throw it in everywhere. Um, so we kind of discuss that too and we do hope you just take what we say as two guys having a discussion. Again, sorry for the delay on this. I know it's late. And as always, thanks for listening. Here in the state of Washington, our governor issued a proclamation just before Thanksgiving that explicitly said the churches could meet a limited capacity, I think it's 25% capacity or 200, whichever is less. They were not allowed to do any singing. Masks must be worn at all times, distancing, blah, blah, blah. And so uh, churches now here in Washington State are kind of dealing with this question of, okay, the governor says not to sing. What should we do? There are two aspects to this in my mind. One is a disease and the other is related to lawful authority. So as relates to the disease, is it valid? Is it a valid reason? Is the reason of, of a, not spreading a disease a valid reason for this church to start stop singing is my question. What, what do you, what do you think, Andrew? I'll, I'll let you be the first one to put your <laughs> Nice. Um, well, my mind is going to two different places. Um, is are two different ways to think about this. Uh, on one hand, you have to think through: Does the it, it constitutionally, you know, based on the the conversation we've been having in the in the previous podcast and in the first part of this one, is there a is that an overreach? Is that an abuse? Right? Uh, and would it be worshipful? Uh, to God, more worshipful would it be? Would it be the worshipful approach, I should say, to uh, uh, uphold the Constitution 
and disobey again with the right attitude, disobey or, or opt out of, <laughs> there's a politically correct way to say that, um, to opt out of this, <laughs> this executive order, um, Cancel the executive order. Cancel it. <laughs> um, because you realize that it's not it's not in his he doesn't have the authority to do it, right? And and in that case, it maybe the case could be made that actually out of love for God and love for my neighbor, um, we're gonna push back on this. Um, through I would say, you know, through the local magistrates, beginning there, appealing to the local magistrates and or the lesser magistrates that hey, this isn't right, this is outside his jurisdiction and and kind of seeing what happens there. Now that that's just that's not taking in the the corporate worship element of singing. That's just bring, that's just in general, right? It, it, you've, you've got an executive order. Here's the the government way to think about that. Now, on top of that, the other side of it is you've got the corporate worship side, which means it comes under a little more scrutiny for us as Christians because the government, when the government starts trying to mess with our with our corporate worship, um, very quickly they lose. They, they lose jurisdiction that <laughs> they're operating outside of their sphere when they try to mess with, with worship. Oh, yeah. um, so then the constitution really doesn't matter because even if the constant, even if for some reason the constitution said you can't sing uh, God's word would say right. you are called to sing. Right. So I think that right. in that case we are called to sing. It's a, in my opinion, um, and I think I'm confident this is a biblical principle um, that singing loudly and joyfully robustly is a is God's design it's the way that he's created us to worship him um, so to remove that is to remove a critical component of worship uh, so in that case I would say that 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 governor the governor actually has no jurisdiction there anyway um, and that we should not obey that well, and be willing uh, to submit and be willing to submit to the consequences that's right I was gonna read Zechariah 3 Zechariah whoops I said Zechariah. What I mean is Zephaniah. Zephaniah 3. So if you look over Zephaniah 3, it's pretty cool. It's a it's a verse brought up. It's a friend a friend of mine who I actually I actually interviewed him, Doug Bond. He wrote a book called God Sings and Ways We Think He Ought To. And so he bases his book around this this verse. Verse 17 of, of Zephaniah 3. Uh, but before that, in verse 14, it says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Uh, shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord Yahweh has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies, etc. And then down in verse 17, Yahweh, your God, is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. And I'm reminded, I studied Psalm 22 for my thesis project. Psalm 22 says that I will stand in the midst, in the midst of the congregation, I will praise you, it says, uh, at the, toward the end of the psalm. I could find the verse here. Let's see how, how hard. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. Uh, Hebrews 2 actually picks up on this. And, and so it's talking about Christ and how he stands in the midst of his congregation. That's verse 22 of Psalm 22, cited in Hebrews 2.12. And it says in Hebrews 2.12, in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And so uh, we see clearly Jesus himself is in our midst singing as we worship. 
So first of all, God sings loudly over us. Second of all, Jesus sings among us. And so third, or third, as image bearers of God and as the redeemed of Jesus, the bride of Christ, we too should sing loudly. That's kind of the biblical case made in that, in that book, God Sings, but also that's where I would go to say, yeah, man, we should sing. God calls us to sing for sure. Ephesians, Paul tells us to sing in Ephesians and Colossians, of course. Um, it's throughout the whole Bible, of course, singing. The Psalms are full of it. <laughs> so yeah, amen to, uh, to singing. But okay, <clears throat> so the government has no authority to tell us not to sing. When they do, we have to ignore them politely, respectfully, submitting to their punishment, perhaps, but God calls us to sing. God himself sings. We can't do anything but sing. We have to sing. But, okay, now we get to the disease itself. What about love for brother, Andrew? Could we be so uh, unmindful of our brother's health that we willing, willfully do something that we that we are told? I, I didn't say we know, by the way. I said we are told spreads the disease even more. Isn't that irresponsible of us? Big question mark. Yeah. So, so let's think about that because um, if let's, let's think about this. If the, if the governor said, which in your case, apparently he has um, that you cannot uh, sing. Okay. For, for safety reasons or whatever. And then he followed that with, and if you, if we catch you singing, we will come arrest you or fine you. Okay. So let's say that's the, that's the scenario. As Christians, you and I are making the point that come what may, uh, whatever the consequence is, like Daniel, I think it's a great example, like Daniel, we will worship our God, uh, we will proclaim the gospel, and we will worship him. We'll proclaim the gospel to each other. We need that. Um, And we will worship him uh, loudly as God uh, God has called us to, commanded us to, as God has designed for his people to worship. We will worship like that. Um, and, and we will do so also, like you said, humbly, peacefully, uh, respectfully while I think this is important to keep in mind while praying for those very people that are putting these commands in place. Um, we, but all that considered come what may we are going to sing and, and we will endure the consequences. Now, I think it's helpful if we simply consider let's replace the governor and the consequences that come with that, right, uh, jail time or uh, or a fine or anything like that. And let's replace that with, if you sing, somebody might get sick from the virus. My response is, come what may, whether it's human or not, come what may, we will worship our God as he is designed, called, commanded us to worship. Um, we will we will worship our God humbly, peacefully, respectfully, even if this non-human virus finds a quicker path from person to person. Uh, we will worship our God, come what may. And I think that it doesn't make that big of a difference if it's a governor or a virus that is the threat. Well, I have to say, Amen to that. We hadn't talked before this. I wasn't sure exactly what your take on that question would be, but. I I think along the same lines. I think of all the examples in the Bible of people suffering. Daniel, he knew he was going to certain death because of what he did. And yet he did it. He didn't hide even. He he was seen praying. 
I think there's there's wisdom though. So I agree with you. I I also want to add that if I am sick at this point in the history of our nation and the world, actually, uh, I'll stay home and not take the chance of spreading my cold or whatever to people because that is now seen as a very potentially harmful thing to do to spread your cold or flu or, or maybe COVID like you, you may or may not have had, or my brother (laughs) may or may not have had. Yep. So that's the way I'm looking at it. I'm going to stay home if I'm sick at this point. Normally I wouldn't stay home if I was just a little sick. Um, So it's, it has affected what I do, but, but I agree, man, singing is so wonderful. We are called to be joyous. Let them ever sing for joy. That's Psalm five eleven. Let them ever sing for joy. Those who take refuge in you, let them rejoice. Uh, for you, you cover, you bless the righteous, O Yahweh, and you cover him with favors with a shield. It's talking about the refuge we have have been given in Jesus, and how that refuge should give us such a joy that we kind of just erupt in praise. <laughs> I like that the, the Psalms are in the Bible. It kind of reinforces how important singing really is that we have a whole book of the Bible full mm-hmm. of 150 songs to yep. God. And, and Josh, anyway, there's a, ahead. there's a big difference um, between some, cause I agree. I mean, I, if I'm sick, um, if I've got, you know, even apart from the, the COVID stuff, um, if I've got a, if I've got the flu or I've got a fever, um, I'm, I'm going to stay home out of respect for those that are gathering. Right. And that, that's not even just at church. That's, I mean, I, if I have a family Christmas and I've got the flu, um, or something that's, if I'm really sick, I'm probably not going to just go barging in and yeah. you know spread Merry it to everybody. What's that? Yeah. Merry Christmas family. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so there's a, but there's a difference there, right? Between, um, taking the sick person out of the worship versus, altering the entire essence of worship because someone might get sick, right? That, that's a big difference. I, I mean, I, I don't have a problem at all um, with, with someone saying, Hey, I'm sick. I'm going to stay home or someone saying, Hey, you know, I'm like, I'm extremely vulnerable right now. Um, you know, people that are going through cancer treatment and things like that, that are, um, you know, that are immunocompromised. It, 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 I have no problem whatsoever if someone's making uh, if someone's making a judgment call to say, "Hey, I don't think I should be there for whatever reason," um, out of right. my own concern for my own health um, because of, the, of where I'm at, or because I don't want to spread something that I, I seem like I've got. That's com- that is vastly different than asking the the actual essence of corporate worship to be altered. Um, in that case, I, that's where I think that we're we're we, we are treading on holy ground um, when we when we think that that we can play with that. By all means, yeah, I, I don't want to put out there that, you know, I'm saying everybody comes sick or not, immunocompromised or not, everybody get together and you must come together and sing. I just don't, I don't want to mess with the component of worship that is so critical. Um, I'd rather just have people stay home if they think they're sick and go from there. And I would, I, I think I agree with you 100% on what, what has been said so far. And I would also say to everybody listening, remember, these are, these are what we're think these are thoughts we're having. Uh, I do really, I really, I really believe strongly that eliminating singing from worship because a governor said to do it 
is is wrong. So Agreed. I'll put that out there. Yeah, uh, I agree. What we're not saying we're not what we're not saying is to uh, we're, we're we are not your elders. We are not your congregation. We are just two guys talking. So just take what we're saying that way. Yeah. Agreed. Yep. <laughs> that would be what I of that. And so let's go to masking. What do you think about masking? Uh-oh. 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 <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so why don't, why don't I let you ask me that question? Because you, you're in a position and you can tell me what you think. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just don't want to get in trouble. Well, well, let me, yeah, I'll, I want to put the question to you. I want to put the question to you, but let me just, um, let me just throw out there the way I would start thinking through this. Um, and this, I, okay. I think that just based on the conversation we just had about music, there's there, again, there's two ways to think through this. There's two, two different areas to think through this in, uh, one is, does the governor have the constitutional authority to order people to wear masks in church or not in church? Right. That that's again, just like singing like that. That's, that's a, that's sphere number one does even have the authority and and that takes into consideration everything we've talked about up to this point um and if he doesn't what's that all that we get to the levels and all that exactly yep so so you're you're working through all of that and on one hand that's the government side the other side just like we talked about with the music is does this mess with worship um if it does mess with worship you can flesh that out if it doesn't you can flesh it out that way um, but you, we, we've used singing and I'm glad we used that one first. We've used that as an example of something that does mess with worship, um, and, and the essence of corporate worship, which is why we would both be very, uh, passionate to say that we think singing shouldn't be stopped. Um, so I'll put the question over to you, but that, that's kind of how I would start thinking through it. But, but Josh, what do you think about math? Yeah. Oh man. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I personally do not wear a mask unless I have to. So if I'm being paid to do work for a customer and they want me to wear a mask, I will wear a mask because they're essentially paying me to wear a mask. Because I don't want to participate in the lies that I see going on all around us, whether it's political, whether it's health, whether it's science, whether it's uh, community like the lie that you can have community online, another topic maybe for another podcast, huh? Mm-hmm. Um, but but the point is, I, I'm that's kind of the basis of what I where I'm where I'm going to go with this. I'm looking at truth versus lies, and I see all around us that lies that are going on, and people are pretty much accepting lies because I think we've, as a culture, as a society, maybe we've begun to outsource our consciences to experts to scientists, to politicians, to even theologians or even pastors. We've outsourced our consciences. We've outsourced our responsibility to seek truth and to act truthfully to others. And I think that's actually pervasive in our culture and even in our churches. When you think of how how hospitality has changed over the years. Um, even taking care of the poor is something we, we kind of give money to an organization and they do it, that sort of thing. Not saying you and I personally, I'm just saying in general, this is these are things that, that happen in the Christian church today. And I think it's a symptom of that, that outsourcing. And I think, so, all right, so the basis, truth 
versus lies. And I don't want to participate in lies. I don't want to participate in these lies I see going on around us. And so for mask wearing in particular, there are other areas that this would apply to, of course. There are four points that I came up with. Masks have technically been mandated in Washington state in public spaces since, if I'm remembering correctly, June or July. And so I've been thinking about that this since then. I've looked at studies. I haven't been irresponsible. I haven't just come to a conclusion without looking into studies and articles and stuff like that. So just to preface that. But there are four points that I came to. And if these four points, if one of these four points fails, then the way I look at it, mask wearing is simply a lie. So I'm going to go through these and you can give me some feedback on them if you want. First point, COVID-19 must be an unusually deadly disease as, as the, this, this, this disease emerged through the media because apparently now on the West coast, it's been around since December or whatever, but as it emerged through the media, through politicians in February or March and became, began to, to enter the public's awareness, it, it seemed like a horrifically deadly disease. I think the percentages were up at like 4% or something, four or 5%. Um, and it's one of those things like, okay, which member of my family is going to die from this? That's kind of how we all maybe, I'm, how most people, including myself, thought about this. Wow, this is really could be a bad disease. But as time went on, we began to see that this actually isn't as bad as, as we were told it would be. And so that first point in my, um, that first point to me, it looks like that first point has failed. It's, it's, it's not really an unusually deadly disease. It's dangerous for certain people and it's not dangerous for other people. And if you're under 70, it's really not much worse than the flu. So there you go. Point number two, asymptomatic persons must spread the disease at a high rate. All right. This is one that has been used to to drive the wearing of masks by people who aren't even sick, as well as making them quarantine. So we forced well people to quarantine. Um, And so this must also be true. And so I've looked at studies and there are studies that they use to say this is true. And then there are studies that, that came out early, but now more studies have come out to suggest this is not true. And in fact, I think Fauci himself actually, was it Fauci or the WHO? Maybe it was the WHO actually came out and it was kind of hushed, hushed that asymptomatic persons are not the drivers of this. So that's point number two. First point, COVID-19 must be an unusually deadly, deadly disease. Second point, asymptomatic persons must spread the disease at a high rate. Third point, masks must be shown to be effective. Now, I've read many studies, and some some are used to say they are effective, but if you read in the studies, they all tend to be pretty inconclusive, uh, especially when you consider the government, at least in Washington State, we are not talking about the type of mask, nor are we talking about the fit. And I've read studies that suggest, for example, that a fleece mask actually increases the spreading of this disease by 113%. Uh, Cloth masks are not very effective. Those gaiters are actually banned in some areas. I forget where. 
but those things you pull up that go around your neck and you just pull them over your mouth and nose because because they actually increase the spread of the disease via aerosolized particles. And that point, that point on aerosolized particles is why masks are not effective because in reading the studies I've read, I've come to the conclusion that this disease spreads through the transmission of aerosolized particles, which masks that are not properly fitted and that are not N95 masks, which they do not, so masks do not stop those tiny little aerosolized particles from spreading. So when I look at that, I look at, and I look at the church and I look at people in a room for an hour together. If I put a mask on for the sake of my brother, I would only be putting it on to make my brother think he was safe. But I know this mask does not stop those particles, those aerosolized particles from spreading from, from me. And so if I'm in a confined space for an hour with somebody and I am sick and, and am able to spread the disease, this mask is not going to stop that. It's not effective. Then the fourth point is also a very big point for me. It must be shown that there are not harmful effects socially, psychologically, or to health that are greater with masks than the toll taken by the disease without masks. And this has to do with what do masks teach us about other humans? What do masks teach us about communication? How does it change our interaction with other people, etc.? Um, I think that's a big, bigger deal than some people give it credit for. But, but th- those are the four points. There's the four points. You got any pushback on those? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, just for the sake of conversation, um, I'll I'll kind of just offer like an alternative approach, I guess, or or just some feedback on each one. Um, and I, I want to preface this by saying that um, um, right now we're just talking about uh, whether or not masks are uh, whether or not a Christian should should be okay wearing one or should should do it. Um, how, how a Christian should think through it. I, I like these four points because they help kind of just systematically think through. You know, should I or shouldn't I? Uh, we're not. We haven't gotten to the point of does this uh, does this um, does this impact worship necessarily, um, which would be which would add another level of discernment to it. Um, because if, if worship is impacted, then there's a there's a whole nother problem going on. Even if all of these were met, right? If it just like for singing, for example, like if singing, even if singing was proven to spread the the virus more rapidly, we would still say singing is an is an essential part of worship, right? Even if. Right. So I think in this case, we if it was if we came to the conclusion, biblically speaking, that wearing masks attacks the substance of worship, um, then then you're on much you, you are on a, in a, in a different level of trying to figure out, you know, at that point, it'd be it'd be harder to make the case to wear them regardless. Um, but just in the was that to actual you've, you've gone from leaving it up to someone's conscience. Yes. yes. To something else. Yes, exactly. That's a yeah. very good way to put it. So right now we're looking at just leaving it up to someone's conscience. How do you work through this? And I think that's 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 the critical point that we have to keep in mind is that we, we are talking about our conscience um, and respecting one another's conscience uh, because. <clears throat> right. So yeah, four points. They are all four debatable. Yes. Points. And so I've I've just come down on these on one side of them. Yeah. Um, 
And so, and God allows yeah. that, right? God, 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 and His providence allows Christians to land on different sides of conscientious issues, um, and even on yeah. even on biblical yeah. issues. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I think it, it, let's just, so with that in mind, I was trying to make sure we get that out there that we're talking about the, the Christian conscience and we're trying to push back against what you've talked about, which is basically, um, the way that you said we've outsourced our conscience, right? We're trying to push back against that by saying, let's think through this, right? Let's do some critical thinking here. Um, and l- let's think through yeah, the mass. Yeah. Yep. What was that? Oh, I was just saying, yeah, in love and yeah. with the willingness to suffer for yes. the sake of your brother. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think it's important that the humility aspect of it is is important when we realize that, you know, Josh, you may come down on one side of this and I may come down on the other. Um, and it's not my responsibility to convince you, especially when the gospel is not under attack. It's not my responsibility to convince you that your position is wrong. That's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to recognize that even though we might land on two different sides, we are united in faith. Um, and we, and we, that, that, un, that unity of faith that we have stretches across a broad uh, spectrum of conscientious things. Right. And, and Paul is clear on that in Romans, uh, was it Romans 14, uh, that, that you have people all over the place when it comes to some of these things. And yet we're united by faith. So, the gospel here with this, with the conscience, the gospel is not under attack. Um, so I want to be clear on that because that means that we can land on different sides and not be required or obligated to fix each other's position. Right. Um, so with that in mind, um, th- there are people. So you said COVID-19 must be an unusually deadly disease. I agree with that. If if it was proven to just be a normal thing, um, you know, if it was, say, for example, let's go to the, the other extreme if the if COVID was as severe as the common cold, then it becomes harder to make a point that you should wear a mask, right? Um, if if um, you said asymptomatic people must be must spread the disease at a high rate, um, that's obviously been one that that's been used uh, to to push why we should be wearing them. Um, if masks are shown not to be effective, that you know, then what's the point of wearing them? Um, but with all of these, I think that that we have to keep in mind. There are Christians that would read this and say, I fall, I land in the position that I think that COVID-19 is um, maybe not unusually deadly. I I think maybe I would just, I would maybe reword that COVID is unusually um, impactful. I would maybe put it that way because it's not necessarily the mortality rate. It could be the hospitalization rate. It could be the long-term effects of it. Um, It could be the unpredictability of it. Um, there are a lot of reasons why we might want to help curb the spread of COVID-19 that aren't solely attached to mortality. Um, so, but even then, I, I think there are people that would say, there may be people that say, yeah, I think it is more deadly, but there would also be people that would say, you know, I think it's, it leads to a rise in hospitalizations or what, you know, leads to long-term effects or whatever. Um, so therefore that there's the case that's made that we need to do our part to, to curb the spread. Um, and so, Point number one, could that, that could be a reason why uh, we would wear a mask. Now, that, that leads to the other one, the, and that, that includes number two. Um, someone, there are a lot of people that would fall under the position that not only is it more impactful of a disease than others, um, it's also um, the, the spread from asymptomatic people is higher. So, therefore, now you've made the case on why the curb, why, why the spread should be curbed 
and why it should be curbed in the mass population because it seems like someone could easily land in the position that asymptomatic people are spreading this unusually impactful disease, right? So, but now the question is, are masks the right way to do that? And again, um, there are a lot of studies that have, that have shown that they don't. There are also studies that, um, whether or not you want to trust them or not, there are studies that have shown, or I should put it this way. There are studies that have shown that they, that they are somewhat effective, um, and there are studies that there are authorities for sure um, that people trust. I mean, and it is again, that is what it is. But people trust authority um, to some degree. And there are authorities that say masks uh, should be worn. Masks are helpful. Right. So so and I think that what I would want to be careful of is I don't want to go. I, I, we could have a conversation about it, but it's not necessarily my responsibility to make you or make someone else stop trusting uh, the sources that they're trusting that, that now we can have a conversation about it. If someone wants to talk about it, we can have a great conversation about it, but in, in, it may be my responsibility when it comes to, you know, truth versus lies. It may be my responsibility to just point out some things, but it's not my responsibility to convince you otherwise. Um, that's not necessarily my responsibility. So I just want to be careful there. I, I want to be able to come to the conversation and say, Oh, that's what you think. Here's what I think. Okay. We're on different sides, but that's okay. Right. I, I don't want to I don't want to I don't right. as soon as we take on the, the responsibility that I'm right and therefore I must convince you that you're wrong. Um, we've entered into, I think, a, a, a very divisive um, situation because the, the chances of oh, yeah. me convincing you and you convincing me if we have totally different if we land in totally different positions and it's our conscience that is on that is being discussed. Um, yeah, it, it, that becomes very divisive. Uh, so anyways. All that being said, someone well, may say someone may believe that masks are a effective way, whether it's ma- greatly effective or even mildly effective. Someone may come to the conclusion that masks are effective to some degree of spreading this unusually impactful um, disease. Um, but now the other one I think is really important too. It must be shown that there are not harmful effects socially, psychologically, or to help to, to health in general that are greater with masks than the toll taken. Now, on on some on one level, you've got again medical studies that people are going to say on both sides. Um, they are or they aren't healthy, or they they do cause more problems, or they don't cause more problems on the health side. Um, I think that the social and psychological side is a is. Uh, there, there are probably competing studies on that one as well, but I think that's one that we, we probably need to keep more of an eye on um, because that one is well. That's that's one we just assume we don't. We just seem to uh, not not even think that there. We don't even think about it. But yeah, yeah for reference, there are studies. On this. There are studies in uh, relation to uh, how a patient perceives their doctor with or without a mask um, that are kind of interesting to read. So yeah. Yep. And, and also with, Just to agree. with that one, um, I think that uh, the the hard part about that is that the the social and the psychological impact is an impact that can start out lesser and grow more severe as time goes on. Um, so I think that that's yeah. that's a little bit tougher to, to nail down, probably, um, is that um, it's not again, none of the other studies are cut and dry necessarily, but that one's, you know, it could be that wearing a mask for a week has literally zero impact on your health socially, uh, physically, or psychologically. Uh, but wearing a mask for a year may, may change everything. Right. So, so I think that's, 
that's hard. Um, it's a little bit more difficult, but again, it's, it's something that needs to be aware of that we need to be aware of so that we don't just, again, so we don't going back to your original phrase, we don't want to outsource our conscience and just say, Oh, we'll just take it as it is. Uh, another example of that would be, um, shutting down small businesses for the sake of stopping the spread of the virus. Um, if we're not, if we just go hook, line and sinker with what, um, say the governor of, of California is doing, uh, we we may if we just outsource our conscience and say whatever he says is good, then w- uh, we aren't even considering the quality of life that is being absolutely destroyed in the process. I, I think that again, th- there are people could make the people could make the the argument um, that each one of your points is actually. Uh, true, right? So you started off with these four points must be true or mask wearing is a lie. I think there are definitely there are people that could make the argument that that their firm conscious, uh, their their conviction, their conscience leads them to the position that uh, all four points are true. And therefore, um, I'm going to make the decision to wear a mask. The only thing yeah, that I would absolutely ask, yep. the only thing that I would ask of that person is um, don't judge the person that doesn't come to that conclusion and vice versa. Don't judge. Josh. What's that? Is that what you don't judge Josh? Don't judge Josh. <laughs> <laughs> just, just let there be unity. Right. I mean, don't, don't see that. Don't think that for some reason now, all of a sudden someone that lands in a different position, you're all, you're automatically at enmity with them. Um, but right. But, but don't feel like an idiot or a mean person or something like that. And yeah, and it's not your it's not your responsibility to to not necessarily your responsibility. I mean, if you, we can have a conversation about it, but um, but trying to, to think, but take, but wearing the weight of I must convince everyone that my position is right and their position is wrong. Um, is this is the, how we land on our convictions and how we're led by our conscience um, to land in different convictions is so deep. Um, it's, it's so deeply seated in our experiences and who we are and ultimately how God has designed us, uh, that to think that somehow our, our goal in this life is to convince everyone to think the same way I do, um, about all of these things is wrong. Um, we think the same way we have the same mind when it comes to Christ. Uh, and that's, that's ultimately what unites us. And it allows room for differences in these other areas. And I think we just have to, we, we need to be okay with that. Um, as we enter into these discussions uh, and just allow it to be what it is. Um, otherwise we, we will drive and ourselves. Nuts. Related, related to this. Uh, yes, I agree. And, and related to this, I, like I said, I do wear a mask if a customer pays me to wear a mask. Yep. Um, that that's, so there's a hierarchy of relationships. So I think if I'm with my kids, if I'm with friends, if I'm with my church family, I don't think that wearing a mask is a good representation of my beliefs. So I just personally can't do that. But if I'm going to the grocery store, I don't wear a mask because the government doesn't have the authority to tell me to wear a mask. And I won't wear a mask unless the store specifically asks me to wear a mask um, because of that. So there's a different relationship there when where if they do ask me to wear a mask, I will wear one to shop. Yep. I might not shop there again. But, uh, but because my relationship is not personal, they don't know who I am and what I think. Uh, it's not as important to me to represent truth as dogmatically. Um, and so it's the relationship that dictates what I do kind of. 
if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. So whatever. Yeah, so my four points that I make, it, yeah, people debate those. That you could come down on either side of all four four of those points, and um, I think that Christian liberty uh, it is such that we we must bear with one another through our disagreements in these areas. Yep. But it's a really difficult thing to do when someone really believes masks work, and they and and then you don't go to church or whatever with a mask on because you don't believe masks work. Um, boy, then it becomes an issue of what do you, how do you coexist in the same space? Um, so anyway, that's an issue. I'm not going to say yeah. any more than yeah, that. that. I think that, um, yeah, that's, that's an issue that each church has to work through um, individually, you know, and think through, you know, what, what's uh, how do we allow people uh, I mean, how, how do we, how do we, again, keeping in mind what we're doing, how do we witness to the community uh, with our, with the approach that we're taking? You know, how do we, uh, if a visitor were to step into our doors, what, what's the message that we'd be communicating? And again, churches led by local elders are going to land in different areas, different positions on that. And that's okay. Um, but that's an area that, to consider. That's actually, that's actually, uh, that diversity is actually I, I would think a good thing. Amen. Amen. Yep, for sure. Um, I agree completely. And so you're going to have churches that are doing different things and that's okay. Um, but these are just areas to consider, right? What, what's if, uh, if a non-believer or someone from a, from somewhere else stepped into the walls of this church, um, how, how would, what's the message that we'd be portraying? Um, how do, how are we loving and humbly serving one another? Um, again, you have to know your congregation. You have to know where your congregation's at. Uh, you, the elders have to pray through it, um, get to pray through it, and 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 come to a, a conclusion with God's wisdom and discernment um, uh, being being utilized, right, to to lead the local church. Um, and then ultimately, uh, also, um, how um, how do we allow people to 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 live out their convictions um, with everything considered? You know, you got people, you got individual convictions. You've got how do we love, love and humbly serve one another in truth and love, and how do we witness to the community as we do it in a way that is peaceable, honor, honorable, respectful, humble. Um, when you wrap all of that up, um, and you can take you take a lot of issues, but you can take mass for example. When you wrap all that up then each church, just like individuals come to different conclusions, different churches are going to come to different conclusions. And again, it's not the responsibility of one church to convince another church why they're wrong. Right. That, that, um, that is not healthy in my opinion. Um, when churches take on the responsibility of trying to explain why another church is wrong, just like it's not, not good. If I were to land it in a different, and I do have a, I put it just to be clear, Josh and I are on the exact same page with mass. Um, but I have, I feel no burden to convince you, Josh, of anything, um, when it comes to your position on mass, other than just having a conversation about it. Um, and, but, um, but I would like to make clear that Andrew and I are on different uh, sides of the baptism debate too. So that, that's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And that's even, that's even, you know, that's a, a much more, um, biblical, biblically centered yeah. conversation, yeah. but we can even have differences there. So, um, always such a great illustration for yeah. me. Uh, I'm sorry for bringing it up almost every time we talk, but it's, <laughs> no, it's good. Yeah, it's there's the unity there. I think it's a really helpful, a helpful illustration from church history of how brothers can simultaneously disagree, debate, 
and have unity. Yeah. So amen. Anyway, amen. So we have to do that. And so, so we can, we can, we need that unity needs to be at the forefront along with the worship of God, the proclamation of the gospel. We do all of that in unity. Um, and so that allows a lot of space for some of these, um, conviction slash conscience issues, um, where, where we can uh, provide some space for that. So, um, yeah, that's, that's a, that's good, that's a healthy discussion. Well, sounds like you got to go pretty quick here. Shall we wrap it up? Yeah. Or was there yep, anything I else think... you wanted to add? Nope. I, I'm good. Thank you for listening to Practically Theologians. Send in feedback uh, via email podcast at practicallytheologians.org. And we hope you found this helpful. Remember, we aren't trying to convince you to do something. We're just telling you what's in our brains, I guess. Thanks for listening.